We're going to get going again this morning with our backstage series on what it looks like behind the curtain at a church. You know, this, this has been an interesting read for me. You see a different side of Jesus here. And today we're going to talk about the church that was unstoppable and what that, what that meant and what that, what that had, what, the perspective of that. Have you ever, talking about perspective, have you ever had a situation, and I'm sure you have, I have many times, where you felt powerless? Like actually, it may not have been a traumatic situation, but maybe it was something with one of your kids. Maybe it was a situation at work that affected you, but you felt like I have no lever that I can pull to make this thing change. It's a very weird place to be psychologically when you feel powerless, like when something isn't going your way. But I I wanna tell you that perspective is a powerful, powerful thing. Perspective is powerful. Perspective is incredibly powerful. I've learned as a minister, when you're walking people through situations, especially when situations aren't going their way from very severe situations, just to life situations that aren't so bad. But when things aren't going your way, perspective is powerful. And so one of the most powerful tools that I often work with people, I've done it on the back of napkins in restaurants. I've pulled out like old receipts in my truck and written down on the back of those pieces of paper a plan. It's amazing what happens when people have some sort of a plan. Even if you're getting out of debt, it doesn't matter what it is. If if you have a life situation where where everything's crashing or everything feels like you're powerless or it feels like, man, this is all, you ever felt like you've been in a situation where the circumstances are controlling everything? Like you're just kind of at the mercy of, you're like a kite in a high wind. You're just going wherever the wind blows you. Well, actually you do have options. You, You have options and I want you to know good or bad when you encounter a situation situation in life, do not let the circumstances write the story. Did you hear me? Don't let the circumstances write the story because circumstances will. Circumstances will dictate the narrative to you if you're not careful. Perspective is powerful. I I never forget an interview. This is uh, Mark Zuckerberg. He's the guy that invented Facebook. And, and um, I, I remember watching an interview, I was probably four or five years ago, and, and Zuckerberg was, uh, it was some Dateline special, or I don't, I don't remember, but, but he was asked a question. Google had just come out with all of these new tools, and they weren't really some tools you see. They were some new things that Google had put into play. And so this interview, interviewer asked Mark Zuckerberg, Hey, what do you feel about, because Google really like tried to jettison ahead in the world that Facebook and Google and Twitter and all of the data world and AI and all that stuff. Google had done some things, try to grab some market share. And so this person said, how's Facebook going to respond? And Zuckerberg said, I'm not even concerned. And the interviewer said, wait, you're not even concerned with what Google just did? He said, why would I be concerned with them? And he was very classy about it. He said, I think it's great, by the way. He said, it's it's awesome to advance technology. The world needs it. The world needs better AI. The world needs it. He started rattling off all the things that Google had done. He said, but I'm not, I don't even think about it. I don't think about Google. He said, you don't think about your biggest competitor? He said, why would I think about them? He said, I'm only thinking about us. 
And it, it made me think of the difference between the, the, the rear view and the windshield. Because, you know, so often, basically, if, had he fallen into that trap, what he was saying to that interviewer was, if I'm focused on Google, I'm leading from the rear view mirror. I'm leading by watching what everybody else is doing. But I would challenge you, metaphorically, not physically, actually, try driving from the rear view mirror. You're going to crash in a matter of seconds. It, do you ever notice that the rear view mirror is way smaller than the windshield? That, there's a reason for that. There's a reason for that. You're, it's not designed to drive forward looking backward. And so perspective is powerful. And, and I loved what Zuckerberg had to say that he chose the perspective that I'm going to look at what's ahead of me, not what others are doing behind me. I think there's a church that we're going to look at today that was in a real bind. They were in a bind. And I wonder, this is just Jason, by the way, I wonder if it, if it wasn't a perspective issue. So let's, let's look at it in, in Revelation chapter 3. That's where we're going. Revelation 3. It's the church at Philadelphia, and it's the very last book of your Bible. If you're on a digital device, uh, I'm, I'm using the NASB, if you want to go word for word there. Revelation uh, chapter 3, and this is the church at Philadelphia, and this is what Jesus had to say to them. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia writes, He who is holy... He who is true, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, and who shuts and no one opens, says this, I know your deeds. Behold, I have put before you an open door, which no one can shut, because you have a little power, and you've kept my word, and you've not denied my name. Behold, I will cause those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and they are not, but lie, I will make them come and bow down at your feet and I'll make them know that I have loved you. Because you have kept the word of my perseverance, I will also keep you from the hour of testing, that hour which is about to come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. I'm coming quickly. Hold fast. Stay the course, that is. Hold fast to what you have so that no one will take your crown. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he will not go out from it anymore. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God and my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So what's really going on here? Philadelphia was a church that, that really, it, I don't know if you've, if you've paid much of attention in this series, but every church has a clause in it where Jesus will say, you've done these things well, but this is the thing I have against you. You've done these things well, but here's where you need to repent. It's not just what Jesus says about Philadelphia, it's what he doesn't say. Notice there's no charge. He levies no judgment there's no place where he comes in and says, but you got, a, you got it wrong right here. You're getting it way wrong right here. In fact, did you notice that with every other church, there's only two in this whole series, but there's with every other church except those two, Jesus is saying, I'm about to shut your door. I'm about to close your door. I'm about to stop everything. I'm going to take the lampstand. I'm going to take the light. I'm going to shut it down. In this, actually, Jesus says, I'm going to open a door. It's way different 
It's way, it's way different. And if we can learn anything from Philadelphia, what we are learning from this particular church, this group of people just like you, just like you, just like me, this group of people, what we can learn, I think, is simply in a, in a, in a phrase, it's this, that obedience creates opportunity. O- obedience creates opportunity. I don't want you to forget that. That is central to what's going on right here in Philadelphia. So what was the difference with this church? Why, why was it? Why, why was it that they, they had all these positive things said? Jesus says a few things about them. In fact, I put them on the screen for you here. Notice that he says in the very first part of the dialogue, I have the key of David. That speaks to his authority. You see that uh, right Right there in, uh, I think it's verse 7, yeah. In verse 7, he who is holy and true, who has the key of David. It speaks to his authority. Jesus is saying, I know it's tough for you, but the fact that he had the key of David, it's, it's symbolic of I have all the authority that you need. Jesus also makes a, another phrase, another statement there. I have established open doors. I've opened doors. That speaks to his sovereign control. Meaning that what I open, nobody can shut. And what I shut, nobody can open. So regardless of what you see, perspective is powerful, right? Perspective is powerful. Regardless of what you see, I own the doorways. Don't ever forget it. He also says, I will make them bow down. Your enemies, those that are lying even about you, I'll make them back bow down. It's a, it's a reference to his sovereign power. You see, it's one thing to have authority. I can have authority, Right? I can have authority, but I may not have power to actually make the change. I may have the title, but I may not have the power to institute the change. He's got both, the authority and the power. And he even even says down there at, at the very end in verse 12, to him who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. That is a major statement. If you'd been in that church, that would have been, that would have been a major statement to you. Because it's, it's speaking to his stability that Jesus is saying, because think about it, when things are crumbling around you, when you've got enemies, when the world's going against you, what do you feel? Perspective is powerful. What do you feel? You feel like you can't stand up under the pressure, right? You feel like you can't hold up under the pressure. You ever felt like you couldn't hold up under the pressure? I've been there. Like the pressure was just bigger than you. He's saying, I'm going to make you a pillar in the temple of God. Man, what a, what a statement of stability there. What a statement of stability. So the difference was, when you look at the difference of the church at Philadelphia, what was the difference with this particular church? I tell you, the difference with with this particular church was they never compromised his reputation. That was the big difference. See, obedience creates opportunity. Don't forget it, friends. Obedience creates opportunity. Opportunity. Lock that into your brain. Obedience creates opportunity. They never compromised his reputation. Did you, if you, if you haven't, listen, you can read the first two chapters of Revelation like that. It's no big deal. Read, if you've missed any of this, just read each of these churches. Do you notice how often these churches had compromised the holiness of God or the character of God? They compromised the reputation of God. Philadelphia didn't do that. They were fully obedient. You you know why they were fully obedient? Listen, don't, don't forget this. They were fully obedient because the truth is partial obedience is disobedience. Partial obedience is disobedience. Purity matters. Purity matters to God. Purity matters to God. In fact, I would say historically, Genesis to Revelation 
Purity matters to God way more than it's mattered to his people. Purity has always mattered to God more than it's mattered to his people. It matters to God. about the, We are his representatives. The, and, and so they weren't partially obedient. You understand that if you're partially obedient to God, you're disobedient. That's just the way it works. There's a thread. There's a thread in Scripture. And you'll find it. You won't find just one verse on it. You'll just find a thread, a common theme you'll find in Scripture. And it's, it's, the, it's the simple fact that God favors the obedient. Now, I didn't say you could work your way to God's pleasure. And that's tough. Let me tell you, this is, a, this is like a, a tight wire act that we have to balance as Christians, right? You're, you're constantly sitting there trying to balance. I didn't, I didn't pay for my sin debt. Jesus did. But on the other hand, I've got this thing that I've got to obey. God favors the obedient because obedience creates opportunity and all through Genesis to Revelation, you will find time after time after time that God favors those that are loyal from the right heart. Don't, don't read into that more than is there. I didn't say you could earn God's smile, that you could earn God's love. You can't, listen, you can't pay a debt that you could never pay off. Your sin debt, Jesus paid for that because you could never pay it, not through works or prayers or good behavior or moral living. You just couldn't pay it. It's too big. Jesus paid that. But all throughout the Bible, you will find, in fact, I, I keep a running list. I, I've been adding to this as I find them throughout the years, the if-thens. There's many times in Scripture that God will say, if my people, or if this, then I will do that. There's if, there are conditional clauses. If, then. There's way more there than you realize. Obedience creates opportunity. These people weren't partially obedient. They were fully obedient, fully obedient. You see, <clears throat> culture was coming down on them, and, and, and they, they were being used of God. They weren't just partially obedient. And so I want to tell you, it, it, you know, what does this mean to us in 2020? What is it? Well, I, I might even say it this way. If you want God to use you, then let nothing rule you. If you want God to use you, let nothing rule you. Let no person rule you. Let no circumstance rule you. Let nothing own you. That's what these people, you got to, I mean, do you understand the, the cultural pressure they were under? The political pressure they were under. It's, it's really difficult, man. It's really difficult. Anybody can be a church. I, I should say any church can be a church when the political climate is sunny, right? Any church can be a church when the cultural climate is, is sunny. But when the hour of testing comes, when you look at Philadelphia, when the hour of testing comes and the sun goes away and the clouds of tyranny roll in, well, that's when you see the hour of, of testing. When the sun goes away and the clouds of political pressure roll in, the demand conformity. When the, when the sun goes away and the clouds of cultural 
pressure roll in and demand compromise, demand that you align with what is current and, and true, well, then it's hard to be a church in those moments. When the sun goes away and the, the clouds of, of condemnation roll in, even from Christians that want to turn a blind eye to sin within the church itself, it's easy for a church to, to seek shelter. What, what happens when, when, when we feel pressure and scorn and, and squeeze comes? We seek shelter from it, right? We seek shelter, and many churches seek shelter under the pavilion of compromise. They, they, they seek shelter under the pavilion of just going along with popular opinion. I've even heard theologians say, yeah, well, those things were true 7,500 years ago or 200 years ago or 500 years ago, but culture has changed, and we have to adapt. And I'm like, well, then that must mean God was just mistaken, that maybe that he just got, he missed it. You know, God never says, oops. You do know that, right? Oh, didn't see that one coming. No, it's easy to seek shelter, even in, within the church, under, under the pavilion of heresy disguised as grace that isn't grace at all. It's compromise. We are called not to seek shelter under the pavilion of anything we could build with our hands. We're called to seek shelter, as the Psalms say, under the wings of the Almighty. To stand on the rock of the open tomb and the cross and the power of the Holy Spirit that set us apart because this world is not our home. So Philadelphia, what they were different. They were different. They had the favor of God, the favor of God, right? You've heard me speak of the favor of God many times. You can't earn it, but you can't shake it either. God put favor on Philadelphia. What, what does favor do? Well, favor, favor when, when God cho chooses to put favor on a church, meaning he's going to put a special power, he put, he put a unique power, he said to Philadelphia, I'm going to open doors that you think you've got no doors, you think the whole world's against you, you think you can't move, you got, he even calls a very, you've got very little power, verse 8, you've got very little power, you've got no fuel in the tank, it feels like it's going nowhere, but I'm telling you, I'm going to open doors that nobody in this world can shut, no power, no principality, no dominion, nothing can shut. So what does favor do? What does favor do? God's favor creates solutions when there are none. God's favor creates solutions when there are none. You see, obedience creates opportunity. It creates opportunity. What we learn, what we learn with the church in Philadelphia, and I really want you to hear this, I want every student to hear it. I want every person in their 20s to hear it. I want every parent to hear it. I want every Christian to hear this. If we learn anything from Philadelphia, from Philadelphia we learn that the majority does not have the authority. They may hold the office, but they don't hold the power. They may hold the office of cultural control. 
Listen, for those of you that are in your 20s, let me tell you something right now. You're being bombarded constantly to go with the flow, go with the flow, go with the flow. Let me tell you something. Nobody ever makes history swimming downstream. Nobody ever makes history swimming downstream. Why do you hear names throughout all of history? Why do you hear names like Gandhi, Rosa Parks? Why do you hear names throughout history? I could list off hundreds of names. They chose to swim upstream. They chose, and listen, that sounds really cool in 2020. Try it when they did it. You see, obedience creates opportunity. It creates opportunity. And I think what Jesus is saying to this church that has little power, you ever feel like you have little power? Like you're just, you're just this little insignificant person. I feel that way when I stand by the ocean. Like, wow, I am small. I feel that way every time I'm up in the mountains. I've been, I remember being at 12,500 feet one time in Colorado on an elk hunt, and I looked out, and I think I I, I may have been able to see Brazil. I wasn't sure. (laughs) But I, I just remember thinking, I am so Small in all of this. You ever feel that way? Like you're powerless over a situation? Listen, you don't have to be rich when you fall underneath a God who owns all the money. You don't, you don't have to be strong when, when you serve a God that forces a sunrise every day. Every day. He forces a sunrise, and you don't even notice it most of the time. He forces a sunrise. You don't have to be, have all the power when that's your God. You don't even have to, you know, talking about when, you know, when you're in a situation where you feel powerless and your perspective is, perspective is powerful. You, when, and so when, when you feel like the, the circumstances are controlling your life or controlling your church or controlling maybe even your faith as you're trying to live it out and, and you feel like you have no solutions and what's going on, you don't have to be creative when you've got a God that invented color like purple. And red, you don't have to have all the solutions when that is your God. And that's what Jesus was reminding Philadelphia of. I know your circumstances, but y'all, I think, I, I, th- okay, I'm going to step outside the center for a minute. This is a thousand percent my interpretation here, so take it for what it's worth. I just wonder if maybe they had forgotten. You ever forget? I do if I'm being completely transparent with you. There's times I forget that I feel like I've got to add muscle, you know, theological or even leadership muscle. Like I've got to, I've got to put all this thing and wrap it around. And you know, it's, it's like for those of you that played football and when you had to hit the sled, oh, what's the, whoever invented that needed to be saved, those sleds. Because, yes, 
Because, I mean, you, if you don't know what the sled is, good for you. Praise God for you that you don't know what the sled is about. Coaches would stand on these 17,000-ton apparatuses and tell you to move them. First of all, the coach outweighs you by 10,000 pounds, and he's yelling at you, move the sled. You'd hit it in the steel, and you hit it as hard as you can, bang, and it doesn't go anywhere. You ever feel like you're just hitting something and hitting something and hitting something, and it's going nowhere? I'm sure Philadelphia felt like this is going nowhere. The whole world's winning, but this world is not our home. It is not our home. You guys hear me talk a lot. You hear me talk a lot about this word alignment. You hear me talk a lot about falling underneath, aligning your life to God's life. You don't ask God to be your partner. He's not interested. You you fall in line with God with your parenting. You fall in line underneath God with your money. You fall in line with God in your job. You fall in line with God in your habits. You fall in line underneath God in your desires. Why do you think I preach about this so often? Because if you read the book, if you read the book, obedience creates opportunity. It creates opportunity. It does. I don't know, tell you, it, but you've got to understand. It's not because you're special. It's not because you're the apple of God's. I mean, you are. Jesus died, came out of the grave for you. God, you are special to God. It doesn't mean you can buy God's favor. What I am saying, friend, is that God honors those that honor him. One of my favorite verses is in 2 Chronicles 16. Look, oh, I love this verse. For the eyes of the Lord. Man, read this. If you're at home right now, read this. You're driving down the road. All right, keep driving. Keep your eyes focused, but just hear this. For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. I want you to, I want you to put that in a word picture right now. I want you to actually put that, imagine, right? I want you to pretend. Remember how we used to pretend? Oh, that we could, we could, I just wish we could recapture the pretend. I used to pretend when I was little. It was, it were, those were great days. Pretend for a second that you could see God and his eyes are going to and fro about the earth, just looking, trying to spot anybody, somebody. Who's going to be the one that, that is completely aligned. I mean completely aligned. Do you know, that's why what you see in the scriptures, that all throughout scripture, God takes very normal people. In fact, God takes very messed up people. Read about the life of Moses. Read about the life of Abraham. Read about the life of Noah. Read about the life of Peter. I mean, the, 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 it's all, you're hard-pressed to find anybody that didn't have a bunch of stuff behind them. And yet, the eyes of the Lord are looking over all creation. Who is that, who's that girl? Who's that woman that's going to like fully... She's all in, man. She's all... I'm, I'm taking her. She's, I'm going to put her in charge of... Something. See, God is looking. He is looking. He is searching. 
to strongly support those whose heart is completely his. And the one thing about open doors that I don't want you to forget, though, is that nowhere in the church at Philadelphia did God ever say, but you don't have to walk through it. An open door is symbolic of, what are you going to do? What are you going to do now? You've got an open door. What are you going to do now? So I don't know what you're up against, and I don't know what you're facing, and I don't know what God's purpose is for putting you on planet Earth. I don't know what God is doing in that. But many of you are facing decisions right now, and I want to give you one walking point. As you go throughout this week, and as you understand that obedience creates opportunity, whether it's your personal calling, or whether it's something in your family life, or whether it's something in your personal life, whether it's something going on in your career life, God, you know that you're up against something. Obedience creates opportunities. God opens doors. You have to walk through them. So I would leave you with this, friends. Keep the distance short between hearing and obeying. Keep the distance short between hearing and obeying. Keep it short. When God tells you, go to that person and repent, do it. Don't question it, do it. Don't think about your pride. Don't think about your honor. Don't think about the relationship. Don't think about what anybody else is going to think or say or feel. Do it. If God speaks to you about your money, do it. Do it. Do it. Keep the distance short. If God speaks to you about something going on in your career right now, do it. Do it. Keep the distance short. If God is calling you to start living out his purpose for your life, do it. Keep the distance short between hearing and obeying. You know, you often don't think about sharing something with somebody like a tweet or an email or sending them a sermon or sending them a podcast. You don't often think of that as missions, but it is. It's not that you have to send it to the whole world or post every single thing we do at Clearview on your feed. But if, if you've heard a sermon or if you've listened to a podcast, think through your life. I mean, God, who needs to hear this? Sometimes it, it, it doesn't need to go on your Facebook page. Sometimes it needs to go on your Twitter, but sometimes just a simple text to one person can make all the difference in the world to sending them the Word of God in real time. Share it. You'd be surprised how far it goes.